Thank you for joining us for this sermon podcast from First Baptist Church at the Fields. I'm Dr. Brent Taylor, and we invite you to join us each week in worship. I am praying for you and trusting God will use this message to encourage your faith and strengthen your walk with him. First of all, Merry Christmas. Uh, Christmas is finally here. The man is long, uh, this long anticipated weekend, these days, and uh, it takes a whole year to get here. But Christmas is about waiting. You know, we talk about somebody being slow as Christmas. Christmas is a waiting game. It's a waiting game for kids. But in fact, Christmas uh, being about waiting really is not new. In fact, some 400 years took place between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 400 years when God seemed quiet. For some, he probably seemed absent. It's a long time to wait to hear from God. Certainly a long time when you're thinking about the coming of the Messiah. Thousands of years, the, the Jewish people look forward to the coming Messiah. And still, Jewish people today are looking for that. But the Messiah has come, and yet we too are also waiting. In fact, waiting is a necessary aspect of the Christian life. In fact, you, you grow spiritually in waiting. And you might even say that it takes discipline to wait. These past several weeks, we've been talking about spiritual disciplines. And we've used this definition all throughout that spiritual disciplines are biblical activities designed to help you better know and experience God. And we've looked at different biblical activities over this, uh, this past fall that help us know God. We talked about the Bible and we talked about, you know, reading your Bible and we talked about praying. We talked about fasting. We talked about sharing our faith. We talked about worship. These were some of the disciplines that we looked at. Today we're going to talk though about a spiritual discipline that is one that oftentimes is never even considered by people. And that is the spiritual discipline of living in anticipation. And Christmas is a good time to talk about this spiritual discipline. All right, so this is the final message in our series we've been in entitled, Put Down Your Phones and Follow Me. Luke chapter 2 is where we are, of course, it's Christmas time. And we've been challenged over these past few weeks to kind of put up our phones, take some time throughout the week to put our phones aside and quit living for Netflix and Facebook and Instagram and our news feeds. And instead, put those aside just for a little bit and focus on what God wants to say to us in our life and make an effort to grow spiritually in our life. And these disciplines that we've looked at have been designed to help us grow in our faith, but as we said all along, they require discipline. Well, today's topic of living in anticipation is not your normal spiritual discipline like Bible reading or prayer, but it is definitely taught in the scriptures. Anticipation is biblical. It's based on, on God's past promises. Anticipation is hopeful. It's rooted in God's continued faithfulness. And anticipation is strengthening. It believes in God's promised future. It's a great way for us as individuals to grow closer to God. Christians have been waiting for the return of Christ for now 2,000 years. For over 2,000 years, Christians have, have celebrated on a yearly basis the first coming of Jesus. But now we also await and look ahead for the future return 
of the Lord Jesus, which is promised. In fact, there's more promises in the Bible about his second coming than his first coming, and his first coming was fulfilled. But everybody grows weary in waiting. Just look at the people at the doctor's office. Look at the people you're sitting around. They are weary in waiting. And if you have little kids with you, oh man, there's not enough highlights. Magazines, some of y'all remember those. Some of you today, though, are waiting for God to work in your life. Many of us want God to hurry up. God, when are you going to help me? When are you going to provide for me? When are you going to send Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright? When are you going to heal me? God, when are you going to give us a baby? God, when are you going to? And we wait and we wonder. Yet God works in his own time. So, is it worth it? Is anticipating what God is going to do worth it? An individual around the time of the birth of Christ would have answered that question in the affirmative. His name is Simeon, and he had been waiting on the Messiah. He didn't have the luxury of knowing the Messiah's identity. He didn't have the luxury of seeing his proven work. He had never watched the movie, Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't know that there was a Christmas story, much less miracles, any of the teachings. He didn't know about a thing called Easter. He just simply understood that the promises of God were always worth the wait because he knew that God's plans were best. So I want to read this man's story and just share a couple of thoughts about his life on this Christmas Eve and reflect briefly on living in anticipation as a spiritual discipline in our life. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting on the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. These words that we see here are the story of Simeon. And they tell us some important things about his life. He was righteous and devout, the Bible says. The word righteous means that he was in right standing with God. Doesn't mean he was perfect. He was not. He understood, just like you and I understand that we're all sinners. But he understood sin in his life in, a, in the same way that God understood it. And he desired to make what was wrong in his life right. You don't have to be perfect for God to love you. In fact, if you had to be perfect for God to love you, God wouldn't love anybody. You don't have to be perfect. But what we can do is we can train our desires in our life to do what is right versus doing what is wrong. The Bible also says that he was devout because he was righteous, because he was a lover of God and God's word and truth. He was concerned with his life 
that his life would measure up and follow the, the things of God. The Bible says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That meant that he was waiting for the coming Messiah, the promised king of Israel who would bring hope. And as Isaiah said, would bring comfort to his people. And Simeon is concerned about his own salvation and the salvation of his people. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was on him. God's spirit rested on Simeon. God will empower people who long for the things of God, who are filled with the spirit of God, who desire to know him and want to see God's agenda accomplished. He was a godly man with a godly vision for the Messiah that had been given to him by the Holy Spirit. In fact, verse 26 talks about that, about it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Sometime in Simeon's life, maybe it was when he was a child or maybe a teenager or a young adult, maybe it had been a few months earlier or a few weeks earlier, maybe even days earlier, we don't really know, but he had been promised that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah, until he had seen the Christ. So for however long that time was, he had been waiting. He had been anticipating, waiting for God to come through. Some of you are in the waiting game right now, and you're waiting for God to come through. You believe in the promises of God, yet you may be wondering, is God going to really come through in my life? Simeon was waiting. He believed that God had promised this, this to him, and yet he had been waiting and probably wondering when. And the Spirit of God led him into the temple courts and across the pathway of a poor, meager couple who bring their child to the temple. And the Holy Spirit spoke to Simeon in that moment and said, that's the one. And I'm sure he probably said, that one? And I said, yes, that's the one. And what joy he must have felt in his heart as he held the Messiah in his arms. He had been anticipating and now he is holding the promise in his hands. Are you holding on to a promise in your life? Are you holding on to something that you believe that the Lord maybe has shared with you? Maybe the Lord told you something and you've been holding on to that promise. Maybe it's a promise from God's word that, that you read and you just, you just are believing God has that for you. Maybe it's about uh, your, a care that you have in your life or a concern that you're, you're carrying with you. Or maybe it's a concern about a family member. Maybe you've got a heavy heart about a family member. Maybe it's a struggle that's going on in your life, but you're claiming the promises of God for your life and for your home. And you're anticipating that God is going to come through. And maybe you're trying to decide, is it worth the wait? Well, Simeon believed, and he was reminded of God's faithfulness. What you've promised, you have done. God, you're faithful to your promises. God, you kept your promises then, you keep them today. The promises of Scripture are just as alive today as they were when they were spoken. And they can be trusted in your life. Christmas is about a promise of God. I mean, you think about it, it's about all this prophecy in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before the time of Christ. And all of those prophecies came, came true. And maybe you're, you're holding on to a promise, anticipating what God will do. Will he do what he said? Simeon lived in that anticipation. He had been anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And his life teaches us about this spiritual discipline of anticipation. So I want to reflect on that for just a moment. And I want to talk, first of all, about just the nature of God's promises. God is faithful 
and true. And so we can trust what he promises. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. In other words, if God said it, it can be trusted. Throughout the Old Testament, promises were made of this coming Messiah. Promises that are backed by the character of God and the faithfulness of God. Promises, for example, that the Messiah would crush the head of the serpent. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Promises that the Messiah would descend from the tribe of Judas. Genesis 49 verse 10. That he would be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. That he'd be born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. That his side would be pierced. Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10 that he would be buried with the rich Isaiah 53 verse 9 that he would rise again Psalm 16 verse 10 over and over again you see in the Bible these promises that are made there are there are many more than I've just named promises made by God hundreds even thousands of years earlier and yet God's promises often require waiting and anticipation Abraham Joseph, the Israelites in the wilderness, waiting, anticipation. But what is the nature of God's promises? Faithful and true. They will be fulfilled, which is why, like creation, in Romans chapter 8, verse 19, we wait in eager anticipation. That was a major component in Simeon's life, and it's similar in our life as well. Simeon was looking for the coming of the Messiah, and we have witnessed that. In what we celebrate this very weekend at Christmas. Jesus has come just as God promised. But just as certain. The king is coming. He's coming again. Jesus said he would come again. And Jesus is not a liar. His promises are as good as done. And just as he came the first time. He will come again. So we discipline ourselves as we look forward. To what God has in store. So let's talk about the attitude of anticipation. There are lots of attitudes that you got to have with spiritual disciplines. And we've, we've reviewed several of those over the past weeks as we've looked at different uh, spiritual disciplines. And the attitude of anticipation is the same way. And so what is, what does that attitude look like? Well, it involves active waiting and preparation, active waiting and preparation. Active anticipation means that we're preparing ourselves. It means that we live out our faith, that we seek the Lord, that we prepare ourselves. We're looking forward to the return of Christ and we share the, the hope of Christ with others because we know he's going to return again. And when he does, it'll be too late for some. So we want to be actively waiting and participating. And so we're not just, just sitting back and just thinking it's going to come at some point, but instead we're actively involved. It makes me think of like a boxer. You know, if you, you think about a boxer that's getting ready to go into the ring, man, when they're, when they're back in the dressing room getting ready to come out, you see them in movies, things like that. I mean, they're not on their phone watching Netflix. They're not watching The Crown, you know? What are they doing? I mean, they're pacing and they're getting ready, you know, and you can just see them. They're, they're kind of just trying to shake off the nerves. They are actively waiting and preparing, and that's what we're to do as well. That attitude also means cultivating a posture of hope. Like Simeon, we look forward. Simeon looked forward. He believed. He looked forward in hope. And so we're anchored in the promises of God, but we stretch forward in this hope in believing. 
We choose to believe. We tell ourselves that we believe what God says and what God has promised. And we're believing in his second coming, in his return, and the hope of heaven that is promised to those who believe. So we're seeking to cultivate and develop that hope, that sense of hope in our life. I believe, by the way, that hope is one of those Christian words that most Christians don't really understand. Because we use that mindset that it just means wishful thinking. And that is very much an English American way of viewing hope. But hope in the Bible is always 100% guaranteed assurance. And so we cultivate that by reminding ourselves, he is coming again. But we also, part of that attitude is we trust God's timing in that. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, blessed are all who wait for him, who wait for him. You're blessed, the Bible says, when you are waiting for him, when you are trusting God's timing and you're anticipating and you believe that God's timing is perfect. Jesus came to earth in the fullness of time is what Galatians 4, 4 says, which means that Jesus came to earth at exactly the right time. That's what that phrase means. It was the perfect time for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. And it will be exactly the perfect time for Christ to return. So we trust God for all of his promises today, and we trust him for all of our tomorrows, and we trust him until we're in glory forever when we are with him. These are attitudes that we develop that active waiting and that cultivating of that, that posture of hope and trusting God's timing informs our attitude that we have. So how do we do it? How do we live in anticipation? Simeon lived anticipating God's promise. So how do we live in that same way? Well, we do one of the things that Simeon did, and that's that we seek God's presence in our life and his guidance in our life. Listen to Psalm 130, verse 6. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. The psalmist is saying there, I am waiting on the Lord. I am, I am listening. I am attentive. I am responding to his voice. When you are waiting on someone, you're, you're watching. You're looking out the window. All right, so I don't know when it was exactly, but I, I got, I turned old. All right, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know when it happened. But this is how I knew that I had turned old, okay? So my kids, you know, they went off with their life, went off school and all that. But then they come back for Christmas or they come back for a holiday or whatever. And I realized that I had turned old as I'm staring out the front blinds just looking for their car. I thought, oh, I'm old. I'm looking out the window watching for them. And like when they come home, they don't like unlock the door. Why? Because I've been looking out the window. So I'm at the door and I'm unlocking the door, you know? I'm opening up the door for them. When you're waiting for someone, you're watching, you're looking. And that's what the spirit of anticipation is about, this discipline. It is by keeping our eyes open. It's by seeking the Lord and watching for him. And we do that. We watch for the Lord through prayer. I mean, you don't have to go outside in your front yard and just stand there all day long staring at the sky. You don't have to do that, but you dig into the word of God. 
You read the word, you study the word, you read scripture, not only the Christmas story, but you read verses about his return. And you pray and you ask God for a longing in your heart for the return of Christ. You ask the Lord to help you to yearn for being in the presence of God. That's how Simeon lived his life. He was daily just, just aware God had made this promise and, and he knew that he was gonna, God was gonna fulfill this promise. So he was looking, he was aware, he was attentive and that's what we're called to be as well. Then we're also to keep watching and believing. Keep watching and believing. You can't lose hope. You can't lose hope. You know, the, um, the disciples thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. I remember when I was a kid, we were sitting around the table and it's just one of those kind of strange things that memory just kind of sticks in your head. And I remember that my dad asked us around the table, we used to read a little scripture verse together or something like that around the meal. And my dad asked the question to us. He said, when do you think Jesus is gonna return? Do you think he'll return in your lifetime? And I remember my brother, my brother's seven years older and I was little, so he's a teenager or whatever. My brother said, yes. I think Jesus is going to come back in, our, in my lifetime. So I'm a little brother, so I said, well, yes. I think Jesus is going to come back in my lifetime. I've believed that since I was a kid. Now, I don't know. Jesus may not come back for 500 years. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know when Christ is going to return. But we should always keep watching and believing. Waiting on the Lord can prove if you really believe in God. <laughs> In that time of waiting, be patient. Be filled with faith. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. In the face of challenges, we tend to lose hope. You gotta hang on, you gotta keep believing. And just as God's promises were sure the first time, so it will be with his, his coming. Revelation 22, 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen, come. Lord Jesus, keep believing his promise. When I was uh, growing up in our home, my mom always had this little framed picture. I don't know where it is today, but it all growing up, it was always there. It used to sit on, um, uh, when we lived in Plano, it used to sit, we had those, uh, one of those stereos, you know, it's like a coffin. You remember those? Had this big old stereo in there. And sitting on top of it, and I used to walk by it every day, was that little frame picture. And it said, perhaps today. Perhaps today. We don't know when Christ is returning. Perhaps today. So we keep believing this promise. Keith talked earlier about Isaac Watts writing that hymn, Joy to the World, based on Psalm 98. It's most often sung like we do at Christmas. But the meaning goes beyond Bethlehem and it points to the incarnation when God became a man. It points beyond that though, that joy has come. But we also know that that joy to the Lord, that joy that we sing about, the Lord is come, meaning he will come. And that hymn expresses anticipation and joy when he comes again. And as believers, we practice these spiritual disciplines in anticipation, which is confirmed each time we celebrate his first coming. It reminds us of his second. And when you think of Simeon, it encourages us to keep watching 
and keep believing. Because just as he walked through the temple courts, believing he would see the Messiah, we know that one day the king will come again. And we sing joy to the world at Christmas, but we really should sing it all year round because we live in anticipation. And we take the bread and the cup that Jesus gave his disciples there at the night before he was crucified. And he reminds us that we take the bread and the cup to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what the scripture says. I want to invite us to bow our head across this room right now. And today, as we gather together, there may be people who are in this place. There may be many people who are in this place who have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The return of Christ is great news for believers. For those who have received Jesus Christ, they have confessed their sin, placed their faith and trust in Christ. The second coming of Christ is great news. But for those who have never trusted Christ as Savior, his second coming should cause pause in our heart. Because when Christ returns, there will be no opportunity to say, well, now I want to make things right. But instead, we want to make sure that while it is still called today and while we're still on this side of his second coming, that we trust Christ as Lord and Savior. If you've come here today and never received Jesus as your Savior, I want to invite you to do so today. I want to invite you to place your faith and trust in Christ, to say, God, I am a sinner. I know that I have done wrong, and I confess that to you. I believe in my heart that Jesus came to earth, was born in a manger, died on a cross, and rose again. I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. I believe you rose again to give me eternal life. If you've come here this day and you've not prayed that prayer, but you just did, or if you'd like to do so, it's the greatest decision you can ever make. After our service is, is over, down in a little room we call the Connect Room, a glassed-in room out on our main hallway, the Commons, some of our pastors will be there waiting on you. If you've not received Christ or you want to talk to somebody about doing it, or if you just prayed that prayer, we want to visit with you. Maybe you've come here today and you want to join our church. Or maybe you want to schedule to be baptized. Or maybe you've got a prayer need in your life and you need somebody to pray for you. Maybe you feel like God is speaking to you about something. Maybe he's calling you into ministry. Or maybe you just don't know what God is saying to you, but you want to talk to somebody. Our pastors are there waiting to talk to you today. I know it's Christmas Eve, which makes it a great day to make a decision for Christ. But I know also that there can be that pressure that you feel to hurry off, to go be with family. Let me invite you to do spiritual matters with God before you go. We won't keep you long, just for a few minutes to encourage you and help you. But don't be afraid or embarrassed to go. 
You know, in just a moment, we're going to take the bread and the cup. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper together. But for all of us as believers who are here today, I want to invite you just to confess your sin before the Lord at this time. The Bible tells us not to take the bread and cup in an unworthy manner. So would you just, there before the Lord, would you just confess your sin and your heart before him? I would ask you to take that little cup in your hand if you would, and there's a side that has the little piece of unleavened bread, bread without yeast in it. It's bread that was used in the Bible. And that bread Jesus took, and he broke it with the disciples that night before he was going to be crucified. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had broken it, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so as we hold this bread in our hand, we do so recognizing this bread symbolizes the body of Jesus. On this Christmas weekend, we think about a baby. And we think about Mary and Joseph and the soft skin of that newborn baby. But we also know that that baby would grow up and that skin, that body would be beaten and bruised for us. And that body would be nailed to a cross. And when Jesus broke that bread, he was showing them the suffering that he would go through. And he called on us to take this bread in remembrance. And so I want to pray and then say a verse of scripture and then we'll take the bread together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you that this bread symbolizes his body. And Lord, we on this Christmas weekend are reminded that God came in the flesh, the incarnation. He left the beauty, the throne of heaven to come and walk among men and women on this earth. And he gave his body, his life for us. We do not deserve what Christ has done for us. So Lord, it is in a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving that we recognize that Jesus gave it all for us. And so, Lord, today we take the bread in remembrance of Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. Church, let's take ask you now to take the cup and just to very carefully, if you would, peel back the top of that. And just hold that cup there in your hands for just a moment, if you would. 
I just want to invite you to look into that cup. You know, the Bible tells us that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus stared into the cup. And he asked, could this cup pass from me? Jesus knew the suffering that he was facing. But he also knew that is why he came. He came to suffer and to die. And we know that there, as we talked about last week, myrrh was offered there at his birth by the wise men. And we know that it would be placed on his body at the tomb because Jesus shed his blood and he died for us. And Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And whenever you drink it, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then there's that verse of anticipation for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so God, today, we cannot express the gratitude we feel for a savior who was nailed to a cross, whose side was pierced by a Roman spear to assure his death. We cannot express what it means to us that he would be willing to come to earth, to be born in a manger, to die on a cross for the glory of God and for the forgiveness of our sins. And so, Lord, we thank you. And we thank you, God, that Jesus paid it all for us. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 5, it's, as it's looking ahead to the future in heaven. And it says in Revelation 5, that we'll gather around the throne and say, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God. Today we have talked about anticipation. We've celebrated the Christ of Christmas and we've thought about his coming return. This morning has been good. It is good to celebrate the whole story from beginning to the never end. God bless you, church family. Let's stand at this time. We're going to sing a closing song. We invite you to be back this afternoon for our candlelight services. If you've already attended or cannot attend today, I pray that you have a Merry Christmas.